0: Hi, this is Skip Stewart with another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. Once again, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer here at Baptist Union County. And hello, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster, the
2: chief medical information officer for the Baptist system and an internal medicine physician.
0: Well, we are so incredibly excited today. We have a guest, Dr. Eric Dixon, President and CEO of UMass Memorial Healthcare System. Welcome, Dr. Dixon.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me, Skip.
0: Okay, uh, Dr. Dixon, if you could tell us uh, a little bit about UMass Memorial or uh, yeah, UMass Memorial Healthcare System.
3: UMass Memorial Healthcare System is located here in uh, uh, Central Massachusetts. Uh, where the leaves have fallen off the trees and it is starting to get cold and we're starting up the fireplaces to keep the houses warm. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm betting you're a little bit warmer there. Uh, we're about a $3 billion uh, healthcare system with 14,000 employees, 2,000 uh, providers, uh, and 1,100 inpatient uh, beds. We see in the range of 1.2 million outpatient visits uh, uh, per year, and just about 50,000 uh, hospitalizations and 50,000 procedures are done here a year. So we're very concentrated. We're, we're not in the Boston market. We're not in the Springfield, Western Mass market. We're just uh, the predominant provider of health care in central Massachusetts.
1: Dr. Dixon, this is uh, Dr. Mason. And once again, I just wanna thank you for being here. And recently I, I listened to a video podcast that you did with with value capture. And I saw so many similarities between the culture that you guys have at UMass. And the culture that we're trying to create here at Baptist, and it, it was very encouraging. And, and one thing we like to do on this podcast when we have physicians is is learn a little bit about their journey with continuous improvement. And, and as a physician who is very Early in the in in my journey uh, on my uh, continuous improvement journey, it's it's very, it's just very re- refreshing and encouraging to see someone like yourself who started out as an ED physician and is now running a um, a health system with with fourteen thousand employees. And, and with that in mind, uh, would you would you mind just sharing with us a little bit about your story?
3: I'd be happy to. So. I graduated from our emergency medicine residency here at uh, UMass in 1998. And when I came out of residency, I was primarily doing research. We are an academic health science system. and I always had a bend towards um, experimentation and research. And I had this opportunity five years after graduating residency, um, which is probably way too early in retrospect to become an academic department chair. This is something that few individuals get to do in the course of their academic Mm. career and uh, was the first founding chair of um, the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Iowa, a wonderful place. And so I went there and I wanted to build a giant uh, research program. I, I knew about their clinical operations. It was much smaller than what I came from. And I was just overwhelmed by the, the dysfunction of the, the way the emergency department worked. And I, I had come from a longstanding residency and trauma center, and it, it worked pretty well. Um, and that's not what I inherited at the University of Iowa. And because I was chairman of the department, you know, I was supposed to fix it. And I had no, how, no way, no idea how to do that. And I had no, I never studied management science. I had never, um, I didn't have a, a master's in healthcare management as I do now. I hadn't trained in any way. And so I was failing and I was, uh, you know, failing miserable uh, myself. My wife is also an emergency physician, worked in the department. Uh, she knew how, how bad it was there. And so uh, it was uh, out of desperation and the CEO got me the help I needed. And uh, someone who's become a good friend, um, Sabi Singh, uh, taught me about lean, and and he did it taught me about it in a way that resonated with me through my focus on research and experimentation. And you know what he said to me is. What do you need to do? What's the number you're trying to achieve? What metric would you want to make better? And it was all door to dock time. We had patients with stroke and MI and AAAs that were waiting in the waiting room to be seen by a provider, and we somehow couldn't get them there. And I knew that we had good doctors if we could just get the patients to the doctors. And he said, well, what you're gonna do is measure that, make it visual so everyone can see that door to dock time measure, and go in every day and do experiments to see if you can shorten up that time. And and that resonated with me. And I think he intentionally talked about continuous experimentation. Didn't really use the word lean. I don't really use the word lean anymore. I, th- I talk about standardization and continuous improvement all the time. Uh, And we started doing experiments and the docs came up with great experiments that they wanted to do. The triage nurses came up with great experiments. The medical assistants, the secretaries came up with great experiments that they wanted to do. And I just set up the experiment for them. And and that emergency department, because of their ideas, was transformed And that we went from, you know, 180 minute average uh, door to dock time to five to 10 minutes after a period of about nine months. And it, wow. it was transformative and patients got better care. And pe- and for me, I said, wow, this works. And, you know, so I went from this neophyte, had no idea how to run a department or improve something over time to, you know, just a few years later, they made me COO of the hospital. And uh, because, it, they said, "Geez, you know, seem to know how to fix things, how to make things work better." And what I always say is, "I know how to do experiments. I know how to set up a well-designed experiment. I don't know what experiment to do most of the time, unless it's in an area that I'm an expert in." But there are people that can pick that experiment, and there are people that um, know uh, what we need to try next. And I think if you if you approach it that way with physicians, you know what's wasting your time what's keeping you from seeing that patient that's having a stroke and needs you and needs your care and they'll tell you and and then you help them take that waste out of their day the docs will be your greatest champion we have about 50 we call them lean six sigma black belts here we do do a year long training program and nearly half of them are physicians and um, and I'm always cuz the physicians can make things get better faster than any other group. And I know there's other very, very important providers, members of the teams, but if I went into your hospital and I asked and I said, who can slow down an initiative the most in your hospital, Um, (laughs) I'd almost always get the same answer, the docs. And well, it's thermodynamics. The equations work the same way. You know, If you can help the docs and take that waste out of their day and improve their life, they'll be your biggest champions as well. And um, and so when I, if I were to bring you here today and show you where is it working best, I'd bring you to my chair of ophthalmology and visual sciences, and I'd let her lead you through the um, idea system that she has in place and how she engages, uh, you know, every member of the team. But every one of her docs are at those idea sessions and, and those huddles. Um, and I, and I think that's why they've gotten so much better, so much faster. They're probably my best example of a similar story here at UMass Memorial. So, you know, failure is an incredible, incredible motivator, and it motivated me to learn. And I think for people that like science and experiments and trying new and different things, people who like innovation, um, you know, that's what you have to capture that spirit. and. And, and that's what we've tried to do here at UMass Memorial.
2: That's pretty awesome. fascinating, uh, Dr. Dixon, about the the Six Sigma black belts and, and the number of physicians that you have that are doing that program. Can you talk to us just a little bit about your workforce training program and how you get them kind of trained in the methodology of lean um, and, and how you offer that to the, your physicians? Does, does everybody go through this program? Is it is it open to everyone?
3: everybody goes through the training program, including all new physicians. And and the, the first training program is only two and a half. We call it our, our lean white belt training. Um, you know, the, the center of the program is around what we call the Mr. Potato Head Trauma Center, where eight Mr. Potato Heads come rolling in after a horrible trauma, broken into pieces. And we give them their electronic health record, which is a picture of what they need to look like. And they, using the same exact resources and just redesigning processes um, go from, you know, eight mortalities because they didn't get them put together uh, in over time, in enough time, to they get them all put together and all lives are saved. And, uh, you know, you have to have something that illustrates you can take existing resources, redesign your processes, and improve the quality and the efficiency. And the question I always ask them, and I try to participate in as many of those as possible, is did you like it better the first time when you were frustrated looking for pieces and you didn't have a system in place, or the last time? And of course the answer is the last time. And, and yet ask your, your docs and your nurses and everyone else that works for you, You know, when you take waste out of the day and, and you make things go smoother on behalf of your patients and your caregivers, is that better? Yeah, so that's all we want to do. We want to, What we call True North here is to be the best place to give care and the best place to get care. And everything we do is about our people and our patients. And mm-hmm. it is the absolute mm-hmm. core of our culture. I've passed out 40,000 candy bars that say thank you for taking great care of our patients and one another. And it's, it's always got to be about that because, if you don't have respect for people and you don't prove it every day of the week, then you're not going to get them to engage in doing experiments with you. And and so we always say best place to give care, best place to get care, not because the caregivers come first, but because that's the they, you have to prove to your caregivers that you're going to help them make lives better for them, and. Before you'll be able to make things better for the patients, they are they are the key. And having gone through COVID now, and I, and I know your region has still um, been hit hard. We're we're certainly in a lull since our peak of our surge. You know, my, my focus during the the surge, and I, I you know I was there with them as much as I could be. I, I worked in the COVID tent every Sunday night in the emergency department, but just being out there and saying thank you and what do you need. I remember walking around the hallways one Sunday night, and uh, what do you need? What can I do? And this poor five-foot nurse just needed an N95 small, and, you know, they were out, and the mask clearly didn't fit her, and, um, you know, I had to call the head of the supply chain because those are the only numbers I have, and I go, you tell me where to go, but you're finding me an N95 small here. So we found her a box, and she put it in a locker. She helped a a few other uh, petite caregivers and you know that sticks with them you know the the boss cares about them the boss wants me to be safe um and and it's it's got to be the core of the culture that you're trying to create it's got to be the first step because you can't do continuous improvement if people don't believe that you care about them and that you respect them
2: now that's really important and so everybody goes through that white belt process and then so Including all the physicians that come on board, that, that's pretty amazing to me. Do you find that having them do that uh, results in them showing more initiative to start improvement projects on their own, or or, or how has that process worked for you over the years?
3: Okay. So you know, I I started as president in the medical group here, and having come back um, from Iowa after five years and coming back, what really is home for me here in central massachusetts where i went to med school and residency and and the first group that i had the first group that had to do the mr potato head exercise was the chairs of the department and i mm. and i told him you know this was really important to me that we do the training together and we have a common language and a common understanding about improvement and uh, and so you you so i come to it from a physician perspective i'm not really Spent a lot of time running hospitals. I've run physician groups and departments, and uh, and you know I just think that they're so important to engage. And most of the chairs have been to Theta Care with me, which is where we go and learn together. Um, many of them came out to uh, an IHI Chiefs of Clinical Service Program and Quality Improvement, and and you know I, what I. And we're just I'm bringing a new president of the medical group in, Dr. Schall, who proved herself in being chair of uh, ophthalmology and visual sciences. The first thing she's going to do is work with the chairs of the department, those thought leaders in the departments, on uh, kind of refreshing their lean training. So all of my chairs have been through the training with me, um, except for the newest ones. And we do it with, I try to do as much as I can with them. Uh, I think that sets the tone. and you know, with with 2,000 physicians, it's hard. And physicians work really, really hard. And there's none of them sitting around with their feet up that I can ever uh, uh, find. And you know, they're, but they're frustrated with the things that waste their time when they could be taking care of patients. So you can't overemphasize the importance of working with the docs, but getting the docs to the point that they're willing to help you with experiments. And um, not just fix this for me, because that only goes so far, right? And I, I meet with every new doc that comes here, and that's a lot of docs, and it's been a little bit challenging now with, with COVID, and every new manager that, that comes in the door. And then all we have 600 managers and supervisors, all 600 of them every year in groups of about 20. We're doing that virtually now. And what I say to the new ones especially and and to the existing ones, is all I'm really asking you is to get together with your people on a regular basis. Talk about performance in your area that matters the most to our patients and our people. Ask your people for their ideas about how you can improve that performance. Don't just implement their ideas, help them implement their own ideas because that's what's gonna develop them into problem solvers. And then please, please celebrate their successes and show them that you actually believe they have something more to add. I can't tell you how many times I've given that little spiel because I do it every year. And, but yet I go into areas, you know, you're a big place, you've got uh, uh, hundreds of different sites of care and all sorts of central business units. And I, and I go and I say, when I come and I visit, I want to huddle. I want to go and I want to see if you're doing exactly that. You're talking about the performance that matters most to your patients and your people, engaging your people and implementing their ideas instead of always your ideas as a manager in the area. Show me how you're celebrating the success of your people. And for the managers that do that, that have, you know, drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, they're delivering great results. And then often I find that we, you know, some flare up, um, central sterilization or something will go wrong. And one of the hospitals will say, great, I'm going to get up out of my chair and that's where I want to go and I want to huddle. And I find out, well, you know, it was a new manager. They didn't really embrace the training. They they did it a different way at the place they came from. And, you know, that's how things got bad without anybody knowing it. And so, you know, that's obviously a coaching opportunity as well.
1: Dr. Dixon, uh, when it comes to... To widespread change in an organization, you know, the the nature of the beast is that the the wheels turn very slowly. And one of the complaints that I get from a lot of physicians who are wanting to make changes is that it just takes too long and and and, and the process is just too slow. And I've heard you talk about Paul O'Neill at Alcoa that that he focused on safety and he wanted to have every Safety issue resolved in 24 hours and because of that. Other changes uh, started happening a lot faster and. and, and Tell us some of the strategy that that you have used at UMass to. To speed up the process of change, you know, as a surgeon. I, um, you know, I'm used to having things, bam, bam, bam. And and of course we don't want to be careless in, in in rolling out things, but but I imagine as an ED physician you're 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 used to that 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 quick turnaround and and, and share with us some of the strategy that you guys use to uh, to speed up the processes.
3: I I think the key is that you have to push down decision making, to uh, and it's not pushing down, it's pushing it towards uh, the level of where the value is created in the organization. And probably one of the, the best examples I have is we created an innovation fund and uh, and have given out millions and millions of dollars through this innovation fund so that people can try things. So what's one of the biggest barriers to trying something and doing an experiment in one of 600 business units across UMass Memorial? You've all heard it, it's not in the budget. And so what we did is so how can we speed that up? And I don't want to go through a bunch of committees. I don't want to ask an approval, 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 and then no. So I run the Innovation Fund, uh, and I have final say on the Innovation Fund. And there's, just, there's one person um, in between the frontline workforce and the person that can approve the Innovation Fund, no matter what any other manager, president of an entity says in the organization. Um, and so what what, happen, what has happened there is that people have an idea they want to try something it's not in the budget, they apply to the innovation fund, and um, you know I only see things that are over ten thousand dollars, and about seventy percent of the projects that are applied for are approved and you know in many ways they say we're going to spend that money. Anyways, but we didn't have to go through capital committee, the budgeting process and all, everything else. So that's, that's one way that you can speed up, let's, let's get this done. And whenever I visit uh, an area, and, and just, as a leader, you just have to be out there walking around, not just walking around, but walking around with intention. I want to go and I want to huddle with your team and I want to hear about what works and what, more importantly, what doesn't work. And they say, oh, we'd love this. I say, how can I help? We'd love this. And they say, "Well, we, we need this. Great, put in an application to the innovation fund. It's automatically approved right then and there." And so that's 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 one way. And then I think you know, with Paul O'Neill, we just lost such a great one, and the work he did with Alcoa. He wanted to speed up decision making and problem solving, so he focused on worker worker safety, and said, "We're gonna we're gonna fix every worker safety problem within 24 hours." And if it's not getting fixed, it has to end up on my desk worldwide. You know, and and what he said to me is that at this wonderful breakfast and, and mentoring session um, that that I had with him is that Eric, if you can find something to you know, fix problems on faster, everything will go faster. And I think for us now, that's patient safety. Daily huddles around patient safety and if we're identifying a problem at eight o'clock in the morning we need a solution in place at five and think about what you all likely did and with your COVID command structures right you know there wasn't i hope slow decision making um there you you meet usually in the morning and everybody's on the call and everybody that you need and but and then you meet in the evening and by five o'clock you needed to solve that problem um, because you're going to have a whole bunch of other problems come eight o'clock the next morning, and I, I think that's uh, absolutely key for for everyone in the healthcare system. What our physicians and our nurses and everyone else in the healthcare system has said to me: we don't want to go back from what we had during COVID in terms of decision making, endless debate, and deja vu meetings. Didn't we talk about this last month? Didn't we decide on something last month? Do you have a system to make sure projects move uh, forward? And I think, you know, I I work in in a trauma center and there's times when I have to walk in and say, you do this, you do this, you do this. And Mm -hmm. because, you know, I've been there, I've seen it a lot before, and you you don't have a lot of time to discuss whether or not that patient needs an airway or not. And um, you, 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 decide right then and there and you go. And that works for a while, um, but you can't do that with every patient. You know, you have to get back to that dialogue and humility that you don't have all the answers and asking people, well, what do you think we should do in this situation? But I, I would say leadership's gotta be out there, closest to where the value is created. And, and boy, if, if they tell you they got a problem and you're the CEO and you, you don't fix it, or at least come back to them quickly and say, we can't fix it for this reason um, and and you can't get it done. Well, they'll just give up. They'll just lose hope. And so when I'm out there, if I'm going to ask people what their problems are, I'm going to get them fixed and they have to be fixed because um, and, and show people that we can solve more problems faster. We have to. Dr.
0: Dr. Dixon, um, one question I'd like to elaborate a little more on is that. Uh, you talked about walking around and huddling and being very intentional, uh, and the term "gimba walks" is a. For those that are not familiar, listening to the podcast, "gimba" is just a Japanese word that means where the, where the actual work occurs, the actual value-added work. How do you think about as a very very busy executive in a large healthcare system? How do you think about your intentional walk arounds and what are you trying to accomplish during that activity? If you could kind of elaborate on how you think about that subject.
3: Yeah, I, I would say that the, and we don't use the term walk, so obviously no, we, we know what it means, but the, um, we have done a lot to push, especially the executives out of the offices to the, the place where the value is created on behalf of our patients. And um, but you just don't go and uh, listen. You know, you, 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 you just don't walk around. You walk around with intention. So what am I doing when I'm out there uh, with the team? Um, uh, first and foremost, um, trying to uh, communicate and be clear about what the culture is uh, that we're trying to create within the organization, so it's an educational uh, piece. And I, I would say, what do you do when I, when you're out? And I'm saying, first, is I'm I'm communicating about the culture, about the priorities for the organization, about where we need to go, um, about how we're doing. Let them ask questions. Uh, second, I'm trying to develop them into better problem solvers. So as they're doing their idea system, I just lead by asking questions. Oh. You know, have you have you thought about this? Geez, I was at another huddle and they were doing this. Would that work here? Um, do, have you kind of mapped out flow? And never, never, never be negative and when you're at the huddle. You won't get invited back. And then I always say I want to make them feel loved. I want to make them feel like, you know, the the people that run the organization care about them. And I have a, a, a coach that was at Toyota for 20 years, and I always tell her that, and she said, well eric that 's not part of lean and i said i, I don 't care that 's part of eric and you know and I do use the word love and because you know what other word can you use to describe you know fourteen thousand people that just went through the worst public health crisis we 've ever faced mm. and and put themselves in jeopardy to take care of patients right and so i 'm not afraid to to use that word and um, uh, to talking about how I feel about our our people um, but you, you, when you when you go and you're out there, you have to be. You're educating, you're communicating, and then you're helping them solve some of the problems, whether it be the innovation fund or put, getting another person there that can fix that. The one thing I get all the time is IT tickets. Um, well, we wanted IT to do this for a while. We, uh, did you put in a ticket? Yeah. Well, what's the ticket number? And then so the CIO is getting a call within the next five minutes about ticket number XYZ, I need that to be prioritized and I need that to get done. And, but mostly what I want them to to feel as I leave is that management cares about us. Um, They they understand the culture that we're trying to create here um, and that it really means something to us. And hopefully I've left them with a little bit of knowledge of how to be a better problem solver. And I push all of our executives have to go out and do the same thing. Um, I think I love it the most, uh, uh, relative to others, I love putting my white coat on, I love walking around. And it's a little bit tougher if you're the chief financial officer to go out into a clinical area. Um, but the chief financial officer can get a lot done for you around here. So when he's hearing about a problem, he can fix a lot of things that I can't fix uh, uh, as quickly. So. You know, they're really happy to see the CFO, and uh, because a lot of the barriers that they face in trying to to achieve the goals that we've given them is are created by the, layer, the layers of management in between him and, and the people doing the work. And so those layers are gone when he hits the floor. He he's, might be the most popular, second most popular person to come visit Ugemba.
0: Well, well Dr. Dixon, I can't uh, express enough how incredibly Grateful and uh, just so thankful that you were willing to spend some time with us and and share us share with us your journey and and your passion. You can tell just listening to you that. That you're continuing to learn. I mean, I know the term journey gets uh, used a lot, but uh, the whole time I was listening to you, I could I could tell you that you're on this continuous journey of continuing to learn about. Uh, improvement and experimentation, and um, and how there's both a there's a you know there's a scientific piece of it and there's also a social piece of it. And I love how you talked about loving your people. And uh, I think I know Baptist uh, team members can for sure resonate with that. So I, I just want to just personally tell you how incredibly incredibly thankful and grateful I am that you were willing to to spend some time with us today.
3: So I really- appreciate it, Skip, and, you know, for all of the your caregivers out there that are, you know, going through this very, very challenging time. Um, we're finishing up Phase 3 vaccine trials. We're going to get the, through this thing, and I think we're going to emerge as a healthcare ecosystem even stronger than we were before. So um, God bless you and take care.
0: Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Dr. Dixon. Thank you.